Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. I've gotten to start this organization, Fight for the Forgotten Now. It's going to be what I do for the rest of my life. But I started with that quote. No act of kindness, no matter how small, ever goes wasted. And so one thing I like to ask people is, if you knew you could, in the lives of others, what great difference would you make? And so what impact do you want to make? How do you want to influence people? How do you want to change their lives? No act of kindness, no matter how small, ever goes wasted. Start small, start somewhere, and uh, just have your head on a swivel. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Hot Box, and I'm Evan Britton. And I'm Mike Tyson. And Mike, we've got a really fascinating guest Extremely today. Extremely fascinating, I like... We've got the man, Justin Wren, in the house. Welcome, my brother. Man, What's thank up, you Jeff? so much. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you so much, Mike. This is uh, pretty surreal for me to be here with you guys. Uh, my guy, Matthew, right here has watched every episode of the podcast, all 53 or so that you guys wow. have released. And I love it. He absolutely loves it. You're, after your first episode, he said, I've got to be on the show. And so I'm so grateful that you guys are Thank having you. me on. Hey, man. He's a great hype man to know that you got to get on Hotbox. Yeah, you absolutely. Get the word out there, man. Well, Justin, I mean, you're a professional MMA fighter, but really, I mean, you're so much more than that. You're an incredible humanitarian Right now, um, the most timely issue that you're really the tip of the spear on is this anti-bullying movement and standing with Raiden, yeah. who's a young man in high school. Actually, he's 12. He's, he's a big boy, though. Yeah, he's, he's a big boy, seventh grade. Maybe before we jump into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey to starting Fight for the Forgotten? Sure. And... Um, yeah, let's just start there, man. Okay. First, just so grateful for both of you guys having me on. Uh, Thank this you. This is awesome. Thank you. Uh, fighting, uh, for me, was something I found after getting uh, relentlessly bullied growing up. I think a lot of martial artists, MMA fighters, grew up being bullied, not being the bully. Um, and so found martial arts through being bullied. And so that was my story. Uh, at 13 years old, I'd already gone through five years of being relentlessly bullied, sitting at the lunch table by myself, not being welcome at other tables, um, getting pelted in the back of the head with chocolate milk spit wads or other f- pieces of food or, or fist as kids walked by. I remember getting, uh, I don't know, beat up in the locker room. I was in eighth grade, seventh grade, and uh, was in the football locker room, just sitting there, got hit in the back of the head with a football helmet. Didn't even see it coming. Just got blindsided by it. Cheap shot. Uh, had my my clothes from the the locker room while I'm in the showers. Um, you know, all my clothes thrown out into the 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 auditorium or the the gym. Uh, the volleyball girls, and uh, you know, I'm 12 years old, heavy set kid, and all my clothes are in with the uh, the girls' volleyball team, and uh, I don't have anything to cover up with. And so uh, then other times publicly ridiculed, I'll, I'll give you one story, Mike, real quick, but uh, my middle school crush wanted to catch her attention, um, biggest crush I'd ever had. <laughs> and so I, uh, I found out she was having a birthday party. I got the invitation to it, and it was a costume contest. The winner was going to get a prize. 
And so on it said the prize was a Dr. Pepper gumball machine. So Dallas, Fort Worth, Dr. Pepper's a big thing. <laughs> and uh, I, I found out other people were going as Batman, Superman, all these different things um, or, or characters. I probably should have gone as Thor, you know, being a Viking looking guy. Uh, but I found out she loved Transformers and her favorite Transformer was Optimus Prime. So I decided I would go as Dr. Optimus Pepper to her, her birthday party. So her dad worked at Dr. Pepper. She loved Transformers. There was a Dr. Pepper. a big Pepper. factory there? Yeah, down, down there, Dallas-Fort Worth. That's where her dad worked. And that's why the prize was a Dr. Pepper gumball machine because he worked there. So anyways, from head to toe, I lived in a little country town, Crowley, Texas. And uh, my mom with some duct tape and me with some cardboard boxes of DP, Dr. Pepper, we made myself into Dr. Optimus Pepper, head to toe. 24-pack on the head, 12-packs on the arm, chest plate, a shield and a sword. Went to the party. My mom said, man, she's going to love this. Get to her party. Her grandmother, Mimi, opened the door. Mimi goes, oh, my gosh, Jennifer's going to love this. She was surprised, but, like, Jennifer's going to love this. Walk in. The rumors at school were true. I get to just push the button. I uh, didn't have to pay for it, and the Dr. Pepper pops out. They had this in, in, their, in their living room. I go to the backyard, open the door, and I'm met by all my peers. And I get hit with a couple flashes of light, um, and my eyes adjust. I hear the sound of laughter, and I look out, and not one of my classmates are dressed up. It was just me. And then I hear my middle school crush crush me saying, I can't believe you thought you were good enough to come to my party. Next to her, Tyler said, you're worthless. And next to her, Justin, War or Justin, a guy, said, um, you should just kill yourself. And so not it was just a, a big setup. Not one other kid dressed up, just me, just so that they could publicly ridicule me, shame me. And uh, that's when I started the biggest battle of my life, which was against depression um, and suicidal ideation. You know, at 13 years old, just like with Raiden right now, being 12 years old, you believe the things people say about you. Um, you don't have that resilience built up in you yet. And the effects of bullying can last a lifetime unless you have some big life transformation thing happen. A coach come into your life and mentor you, uh, tell you you can be great, believe in you. Um, and so, yeah, at 13 years old, I started that biggest battle of my life. Probably a few weeks after that, maybe a couple months after that, I found uh, MMA. I was at a uh, – it's called Trader's Village. It was like a flea market. Uh, in Dallas, Fort Worth, and I found a used VHS tape store. And when I was there, I found MMA, and it was UFC, not one, one was missing, but I think it was like UFC 2 through 9 or 2 through 11, and I spent all my allowance on that. Because when I found it, I looked at these guys, and my first initial thought was, these guys don't get bullied. That was my first thought. And then turned it over, I saw boxing versus wrestling versus kickboxing versus jujitsu versus sumo versus all these things. And so I bought it all. Uh, went home with it. I had to hide it from my parents. My parents were real conservative. Um, and, uh, but I just, I just fed on it. I, I loved, I loved that these guys probably don't get bullied, but I fell in love, truly in love with the chess match of it, combining all the different sports, putting into one. Uh, this is kind of funny, but I don't really share this, but, uh, when my dad found the used VHS tapes under my bed, he thought it was a stack of porn, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but it was just MMA. So yeah, but that's, that's kind of how it all started. How I found MMA was, was through being bullied and then figuring out these guys don't get bullied. Um, and so that's whenever I started my martial arts journey and found wrestling and fighting and started pursuing it. But then when you find out, this is interesting because I understood that too. When I was mm. on the box, nobody fucks with these guys. But then when you realize in life, these guys are who everybody's scared of who are 
emotionally and psychologically. They're um, they're very kind. Mm. They're very loving. And they want to love everybody, and they're easy to take advantage of psychologically, mentally, financially, and stuff. So they get bullied from a different perspective then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, and then from there, at, at 15, started wrestling. Uh, I had two Olympic gold medalists as my high school coaches that taught mm-hmm. me to visualize. Yeah. Kenny Monday. Yeah. Kenny Monday and Kendall Cross. I don't know if you know Kenny Monday, but he's been my Kenny coach Monday. for. Uh, more than 15 years now, since I was 15 to 32. Yeah. Wow. Uh, first uh, African-American to win the, the wrestling uh, Olympic gold medalist or be an Olympic gold medalist. And Incredible. He, he's been such a, a guiding light in my life, um, a coach, a mentor. And he's, he's like that for so many guys. Now he coaches MMA. Um, and he taught me to believe in myself because when I first stepped on the wrestling mats, I was completely timid because I had been bullied for since I was at least eight and I'm 15. So I would I would I would telegraph everything I was going to do. I would show uh, what I was going to do before I did it. So the guys would know how to defend it because they've wrestled their whole life, or even if they had a year on me, they knew what I was going to do before I did it. And then those guys just started teaching, not just muscle memory, but but um, but really confidence, having confidence in my moves. Um, and then finally, it just kind of clicked one day, and I became a state champion, then all American, then national champion, and then I went to the Olympic That's Training incredible. Center. After high school, went straight to the, the OTC for Greco-Roman wrestling. Um, started fighting. Uh, was the youngest guy on the Ultimate Fighter TV show. Um, no shit. Yeah. Youngest uh, guy? Yeah, well, uh, for the heavyweights. 21 years old. Amazing. Um, 19 was when I started fighting professionally, MMA. And uh, a lot of wrestlers are a little older whenever they get into it. But I jumped right into it. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, this was before it was all regulated. Um, so it's kind of from the old school guys a little bit, even though I'm only 32 right now. Uh, I was at a fight. I was supposed to coach my opponent, or sorry, my the guy I was cornering had a staph infection. And uh, so I was the one chosen to go to the press release or the press conference and let him know he wasn't going to show up for weigh-ins because he was in the hospital on IVs um, because his, his staph infection was so bad on his – his uh, thigh, Mike. This is, comes from wrestling, jujitsu yeah. a lot, not as much in boxing, the staph infections. But um, he literally had this huge divot in his thigh. Um, and the, the no, this, died from that stuff. Yeah, yeah this got all the way down into right. his femur bone. The staph got into his femur. Um, so he couldn't fight. The opponent started talking trash, saying that he ended up in the hospital one night early, that he was going to send him there the next night, anyways. Um, the promoter came up to me and said, Hey, you want a chance to? shut this guy up. And I was like, man, I'm a wrestler. I'm not a fighter. I don't know how to do this. I just came here to be his wrestling coach. And the guy said, Hey, if you, if you stand with him, you're going to get knocked out. This guy's a kickboxer. Don't stand with him, put him on his back and beat him there. And he's talking to me like I'm actually taking the fight. I'm like, man, I came here to coach. And he's like, Hey, I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to, to fight tomorrow night. Well, that guy's a real, he's a real promoter. This guy, <laughs> right? This guy was, yeah. He's got you in a fight. Yeah. Little, little, little podunk show in, in Oklahoma and, oh uh, ended God. up taking it. And next night it was about a minute and a half into the fight and, uh, put him on his back and then, then finished him with ground and pound. Next fight was kind of the same thing. An opponent I was, or a guy I was supposed to coach had a cold. The third fight I was in Iowa and I was actually in the stands. And I was 19 years old. Good I was God. Dr- drinking a beer with a fake ID. And uh, the guy, the opponent, my opponent that night went into the cage. And the promoter said his opponent that weighed in yesterday didn't even show up on the night of the fight. And so they were looking for someone that weighed over 206 pounds. And if there's someone in, in the stands that wants to fight, just raise your hand. So my, my friend looks at me and goes, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm wearing like a button-down shirt, jeans, 
uh, nice shoes, and I kind of raised my hand. And uh, he's like, what are you doing? So I literally had to borrow someone else's fight shorts. What are you I had doing? to borrow uh, someone else's jock and cup. And I had to use a boil and bite mouthpiece, wow. put it in a coffee cup or coffee pot. Oh, my God. And uh, boil it down. And so those are my first three fights. Wow, dude. Yeah. Listen, um, you know how fortunate you are, aren't you? Yes. You know, most guys, they don't finish like you. Normally, they... They they don't they have normally that that's the last three fights they have and they're talking really funny for the rest of their yeah. life. Yeah. You're very fortunate, man. I'm grateful. I'm grateful now that. Um, so you asked about fight for the forgotten, and what I've learned is that fighting against people for competition that's one thing, but it's a completely different thing. Fulfilling um, for me at least, and that's why it's my life mission and life passion to fight for people. And so getting into that, um, Mike, I got to go after five years of fighting professionally. Um, Man, I ended up being a depressed, drunk drug addict, hooked on Oxy, um, went missing for eight weeks. Fighting didn't fulfill me like I thought it would. That childhood dream became a reality, turned into a nightmare um, because I lost all my money, became an addict. Um, and win or, win or lose, I had an excuse to, to use. Um, and so I went missing for eight weeks. Like literally, like my parents didn't know where I was, best friend didn't know where I was, uh, family, girlfriend, no one knew where I was. Um, and I was hitchhiking from drug house to drug house in Colorado, man, so deep into to Oxycontin. Um, and my best friend left me a voicemail saying, I can't believe you missed my wedding. I can't believe my best man didn't show up. And so I was that hooked on, on the opioids um, and almost took my life from that. Um, and then from there, uh, that kind of scared me sober. Went back to my fight team. They voted me off. It was 34 to 1. Um, and that was like some of the best fighters in the world. Shane Carwin, Brendan Chubb, um, Nate Marquardt, Dwayne Bang Ludwig, Rashad Evans, um, some big name guys, uh, voted me off the fight team. And, uh, so that was kind of rock bottom for me. Uh, that nightmare was even being taken away from me, uh, which was just my identity was being a fighter. And so then I started volunteering at different things and by happenstance ended up living uh, 11 months later after being uh, a bit sober and, um, big life change. Um, ended up in the Congo, living in the rainforest uh, with the pygmy people, uh, the hunter-gatherers, um, and got adopted in as family with them. Um, and uh, Wait a minute, dude. Yeah. How did you just end up there? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how did, you, how did the encounter happen? <laughs> the encounter with you and the pygmy. It was wild. How did you get to the Congo? Did you buy a plane ticket and said, I'm going to the Congo or like, how did did, that come about? I did that, but it was something absolutely wild. Um, that, that got me up to that point. Mike, you probably did visualization, right? A lot of every day of my life, every day of your life, every day. Okay. Yesterday, today, this morning, I'm before I come here. Okay. Sometimes during the day here, I would do it. Yep. Well, so before I'd go wrestle, uh, we had sports psychologists at the Olympic training center. That would take you through visualization drills, like see what color singlet you're wearing, your your wrestling uniform. Is it red or is it blue? The two two colors that they allow at the Olympic level. See yourself shaking hands with your opponent. You walking out on the mat. What, what's the sounds? What's the smells? You know, what's what's your game plan? How are you setting that up? Um, how what's your first tie up and your first setup to your first takedown? Okay, he got the takedown. How do you reverse it? And you see this in your mind a hundred times before you ever go do it or more. Well, this was unlike anything I'd visualized because I wasn't coached into it. Um, all of a sudden, it just happened. 
Um, and I was 11 months into this kind of life change. I had stopped fighting and I thought I was going to stop fighting for a year. Well, this was 11 months in. And so I started looking for a fight again. Um, and I, man, all I did was I said this quick, simple sort of prayer where I said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? That's all I said. And man, I had a movie in my mind that I didn't try to conjure up. I didn't try to fabricate. All of a sudden I was taken to the forest and I was walking down this footpath and then all of a sudden I heard drumming and I keep walking down this footpath in the forest and I clear like thickets out of the way. And then I hear singing a very distinct kind of almost yodeling type singing. And then I come into this clearing and, uh, and I, I meet a guy um, or I see him and I see his ribs kind of poking out and he's coughing and I knew that he's sick and my eyes just adjust. I see these twig and leaf huts. And then I just was flooded with this knowledge of who these people were, that they were hungry and thirsty and poor and sick, oppressed. And I knew that I knew that they were enslaved, that they called someone else master. And then I felt that they felt forgotten. That's all I knew was forgotten. I grabbed this piece of paper and I write forgotten on the top of it and hungry, poor, sick, oppressed, thirsty, enslaved. And then, and before I ever wrote that, I just came out of that vision just crying unlike I've ever cried in my life for these people that I don't know. I don't know who they are, where they are, but I, I left a little, like that much of, of tears. I don't, you can't call that a puddle, but I mean, that's a, a pretty big size of tears. I just was crying, didn't know these people, but my heart, all I can say was my heart was like shattered for them. Emotionally, I was wrecked and I had no idea why, who they were. Um, and for, th for three days, I felt crazy because it had been 11 months since I had tried any psychedelics. Um, I hadn't tried to conjure this up. I wasn't in a visualization drill with a sports psychologist. All of a sudden, I was just lit up with this vision. I felt nuts for three days. Couldn't tell anybody. And, and three days later, this guy named Caleb, who had put on, like, survival trainings uh, around the world, like survivalist stuff. And uh, he was friends with Bear Grylls, uh, like the man versus wild guy. And he was a humanitarian, missionary-type guy. And uh, I met Caleb, and I'm like, man, this might be the guy I could tell. He's kind of a crazy guy. And so I tell Caleb, and he gets kind of perked up. And um, he goes, I know who they are. And I said, what? And he goes, those are the, the pygmy people. And I said, who? And he goes, they're in the Congo. And I was like, where? I hadn't been to the Congo. I hadn't been, I had never heard of the pygmy people at this time. And he goes, I'm so, he goes, it's so crazy because I'm supposed to go see them in three and a half weeks from now, mm. just over three weeks from now. He goes, but the team I was taking of men, they're the three guys with them were all husbands and all fathers. And they canceled their trip because the rebels had taken over the airport that they're flying into. Over a million-person city had been overtaken by rebels. He's like, the State Department said no American for any reason should travel to the Congo. Um, and so he goes, look, my wife was telling me I should cancel my trip unless I, I get some sort of sign that I'm supposed to go. He goes, look, man, if you go, I'll go. And I was like, what? No. Well, first I told him no because it was crazy. It was too out there. Like, it's dangerous. I don't know who these people are, where they are. Um, and so anyways, three uh, and a half weeks later, I tell Caleb and I told a guy named Colin and three and a half weeks later, we're taking numerous planes there. Um, we, we land on a runway that literally they cleared with machetes. That was how they mowed the lawn there. Monkeys are jumping off the runway. We land, we get on a truck. We drive like six hours. 
we get out, we get on a motorcycle for a couple hours, we ride across a canoe, then all of a sudden we're hiking, and we're hiking in, and all of a sudden we hear drumming. And then we hear singing. And we come into a clearing, and the first guy we meet has tuberculosis. And his ribs are showing, and he's coughing, and he's coughing. Um, and it, all the way down to the fact that Caleb and Colin were grabbing me saying, this is your vision. Yeah. Bro, this is your vision. And I felt like this is nuts. Uh, did I have some sort of mental break or mental lapse? Like, what's going on with me? Um, but even the chief pulled us to the side and said, hey, everyone else calls us the forest people. We call ourselves the forgotten. And when he said forgotten, that was what I had written at the top. Top of that piece of paper was forgotten on the vision. Um, and so I knew known then that, like, for some reason, for some purpose, like, I felt like I was brought there. But I doubted it for quite a while um, because coming back the first time, kind of the visual I had was I could try to help these people that have such significant suffering. I could spend my whole life trying and the visual I got was that it was like emptying the ocean with an eyedropper. And like, how long is that going to take? And if I spent my whole life doing it, would it really make an impact? But man, it's, it's been wild. Like Mike, I've had a, a little boy named Andy Bo pass away. Um, I was cupping the back of his head and holding his little hand and he passed away just because of water. Dirty water. Dirty water infection. Dirty water. So, and his, his mom was malaria? sitting there with me. Oh, with the malaria? No, it was just a waterborne disease. I've had malaria now three times. What is that like? Um, malaria? Oh, bro, it's brutal. First time I had it, I vomited red and green, so it was blood and bile. After like four or five days, um, I lost 33 pounds in five days. Um, 60, 60 to 70% or 65 to 70% of my bloodstream were parasites. Um, and so my kidneys were failing, my liver was failing, my veins were collapsing. They couldn't get IVs in me. Um, and then, uh, I had black water fever, which is a side effect of malaria, 25 to 50% of the people that get black water fever, they die. Um, so I was one of the few lucky ones. And, uh, um, uh, but whenever I finally was able to urinate, um, uh, it was pitch black. That's why black water fever, it was like motor oil or something, but I couldn't urinate for five full days. And then whenever I did, it was that color. So it was brutal. Uh, the joint pain, unlike anything you can imagine, your neck, your shoulders, uh, your elbows, your wrists, joints, like just radiating pain. And you feel like if we were in this room right now, it would feel like we were on a, a ship that was like 8, 10, 12-foot waves um, on a boat. Like you're just rocking and your your fever goes way up uh, for a short time, maybe 30 minutes or an hour, and then it plummets and goes to where you're, you're freezing. So uh, actually when your fever's up, that's when you're cold. And then whenever your fever plummets to like 96, that's whenever you're hot. You're just overheating. Um, and so malaria was brutal the three times I had it. First time almost killed me. The second, third time weren't as bad. Um, but, yeah, I've had amoebas, intestinal parasites, um, and a bunch of different stuff. But, hey, this is stuff they deal with on a daily basis. Like I've had it, but but they are losing loved ones to it. And so since then, Fight for the Forgotten, we've been able to get back their land rights, um, over 3,000 acres of land uh, for the pygmy people. Um, and we're helping them drill wells. So we've drilled 61 water wells for them and then started up four working farms. Um, so three are fully sustainable that are supplying uh, different things like corn, beans, rice, uh, bananas to the local markets. And then whenever they're able to sell that, um, first, they're able to eat it for themselves. Then they're able to sell it for others to eat. And then from that, they make money to where they can buy school, pay school fees or buy school uniforms so their kids can go to school for the first time. 
Um, but yeah, I got to live in the twig and leaf huts with them for over a year. So I've been doing this since 2011. And um, one time I went for a full year and the other times you go for maybe a month or two months or, or three weeks. Um, and what we'd really try to do is just to empower the locals because they're the ones that want to be the change they want to see in the world or in their community or in their country. And the thing is that I've learned real quick is there's a great book called When Helping Hurts. You can try to help, but in the long run, you can hurt if you don't do it in appropriate, sustainable ways. And so, uh, for instance, in just water wells, if you look at that, um, there's over 230,000 broken wells in Africa right now. Over 230,000 broken wells that are minimum $5,000 each. And so it's billions of wasted charitable dollars. And the reason it's wasted is because the locals weren't educated with the knowledge how to do it for themselves. They weren't equipped with the tools to, to be able to do it for themselves. And they weren't empowered with, with like a self-sustaining business in country. They have to depend on the outsiders to do it for them. And so if a well breaks down after 11 months, which they normally do, you have to really um, have the locals, like, like changing oil after 3,000 miles, you have to be able to, to, to maintenance the well. It might just be a small nuts and bolts kind of quick fix. Um, but if they don't know how to fix it, then it's never going to be fixed. What do you think about that vision? Either one of you, because I know that sounds crazy. No, I mean, I think we both totally believe in that stuff. Hmm. I mean, we're not driving this thing. We're not in charge. Not at all. No way. We're just passengers. You don't even know why you're doing this. You know, we don't even know why we do the things we do. You know, nobody knows, but it's just a reason. It's a call to arms in a way. For me, a call to arms, like you said, uh, for me on the tough days, whenever I felt like not necessarily quitting, but the really tough days that make you question why you're doing what you're doing. Um, it might be easier for me to do some other things. Um, and uh, on those days you might want to question, I can go back to that thing that's outside of me. That isn't just, I want to do this, um, which is a great motivator. I want to do this, but it's, I had this vision and there's a reason and a purpose for it. And so after going there and living and after bearing Andy Bo, um, they gave me the name Efeosa Mabutimangbo. Oh. Uh, so Efeosa means the man who loves us. And I love that one the most. I treasure that one. But Mabutimangbo. Mabutimangbo. Uh, yep. <laughs> Mabut- let, me, let me see if I can teach it to you. Mabutimangbo. Mabutimangbo. Yep, there you go. It's pretty close. Uh, that means the big pygmy. So, uh, you're a big pygmy. There we go. How, how big are those guys? Normally? Their average height's four foot seven. Really? For really? the men. Men? For the men, four foot seven. And here's what's so crazy is people say. Did the army brutalize them? Yes. Uh, now, the, the, the Congolese army or the Ugandan army. Ugandan. Uh, Ugandan, yeah. They, they, um, so the pygmy people live in nine African nations from Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, Congo, the other Congo. There's actually they two Congos. still? Yeah, they do in a lot of areas. Can you imagine that? Black people enslaving black people. There's over 200. So we don't we don't necessarily name the tribe normally whenever we do our work with Fight for the Forgotten because in Congo there's over 200 tribes mm. and only a few of them might be doing this. Um, but uh, we say the Makpala, which means non-pygmy people. And then people say, how do they have this injustice that um, that this is still happening? Even Chris Cyborg, who is here with you guys. She came on her last trip to Uganda. I remember seeing some, uh, maybe, wow, 10 years, I remember seeing some documentaries about 
the harassment they were getting from yeah. the government going in the bush and humiliating them and doing really bad yeah. stuff. Well, kicking them out of the forest in a lot of areas where they're the protectors of the forest. So to protect the forest, why kick out the protectors? But of why the do the you? How do the Ugandans? I know they have a border, but how do yeah. Ugandans get the right to cross the border and harass them? Well, so there's pygmies that live in Uganda. Uganda yep, and then in um, in Congo and in Central African Republic, Gabon, Cameroon. Did Uganda and the Congos ever have a civil war with each other? They do not like each other. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I they've been uh, Congo has been exploited. They are the richest country on planet Earth. Um, uh, for natural resources, for gold, diamonds, rubber. coltan, rubber. Yep, absolutely. That's where the guy, rubber boom started. Used to cut his hand, cut their hands. Wow. The name Leopold. No, well, yeah. King Leopold II. That's what Heart of Darkness is. Yep. All about. Yeah, yep. yeah. And King Leopold's Ghost is yeah. another great book. And and there's a picture that you're talking about that's so brutal because um, they think there was 20 million Congolese that lived in Congo. When King Leopold oh, came he did there. a number on all. Oh, well, can eight, imagine. eight to he, ten he, million he, killed. That's why he did a number on him, like in the eighteen seventies and eighties and nineties. He died in like nineteen o two, around that time. Leopold yeah. died, and um, yeah, he did a number on those people. Yeah. And listen, he just went in there and did it without anybody, and they had to stop them eventually. Yeah. He just got too brutal. Well, people in Europe thought that King Leopold was like a hero yeah. uh, because he's bringing back all the rubber and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah, then they know? found out what yeah. he was doing, yeah. and they said, whoa, this yeah. guy's a monster. Yeah, killed eight to, or actually, um, yeah, eight to ten million people, they think, like half the country there. And then the rest of the 50% that lived, um, half of them were missing one or more limb because if they weren't working hard enough, uh, they would no, cut off their hands. No, no. They would cut off their babies, their wives. Yeah. If you don't work and you don't bring me this amount of rubber today, I'm going to cut off your daughter's hand. I'm going to castrate your son. I'm going to do this. Absolutely brutal where, where the, the picture you're talking about, I think there's a bunch of them out there, but there's a, a father reaching out for his daughter. Oh, yeah. You see that picture? Yep. He's reaching out for his daughter. Pieces. Yep. And his daughter's hands had just been cut off, and he's reaching out to her with his hands already yeah. removed. And so no one has hands, and he's reaching out to his daughters who just lost her two hands. Um, like some of the most evil stuff you could ever imagine. Like uh, I don't mean to say this bad about the brand Jameson, but uh, but they even had um, one of the sons go out to the Congo, and he paid one of the Ooh, tribes yes. Jameson whiskey. Uh, one of the sons of the Jameson family, he, his last name was Jameson, he sent out a tribe to go cannibalize the pygmies. So that he could do it for artwork. So he sat by while they were cannibalizing a pygmy, um, and he like painted um, the atrocities happening to this person. So he like paid for it, and it was his viewing pleasure. And then he painted it out. So one of the most evil things you fucking No, but listen, this is um, check it out. I know we say fucking, but this is what um, the elite people do, especially in the 1900s, the Gilded Ages. They experiment. Another human beings who are, who are inferior to them. Well, on that, in 1902 to 1906, people ask, how do they still suffer these kind of atrocities? Or no, yeah, still um, slavery. Yeah. Now black people are slave masters. Well, so in 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 the Bronx Zoo, 1902 to 1906. Yeah. I actually think 1902 they to 1904. Humans there, were the humans they used? It was a Mabutu yeah. pygmy named Otavinga yeah, from the area I lived. And they put him in the St. Louis World Fair from 1902 to 1904, 1904 to 1906. Yeah. He was in the Bronx Zoo, and they fed him bananas in the monkey house. 
So he yeah. literally lived with the monkeys right there. But what we're trying to do, even Chris uh, Cyborg that was on the show, she helped us drill our first two water wells in Uganda for the pygmy people there, the Batwa pygmies. What is the history of the pygmy people? Well, anthropologists think they go back uh, tens of thousands of years. They're the first people group of even Africa. They're at least the first people group of Congo. So they're the original citizens, the first citizens. And so similarly to how with Native Americans here, there's been land given to them for reservations. It was taken from them, right? It was all taken from them. And then they've been given land back that they can use and cultivate and, um, and that they own. Um, and it's the strongest thing in courts like this is Cherokee land or this is uh, – well, now we have 3,000 acres of Mabuti Pygmy land in Congo and we have five acres started in Uganda. But we're looking at right now because of Chris Cyborg and then also Dustin Poirier. Um, Dustin Poirier's helped done a big fundraiser in his last fight um, in Abu Dhabi against Khabib Nurmagomedov. And uh, they auctioned off the gear for Fight for the Forgotten uh, and the Good Fight Foundation, Dustin Poirier's organization. And they raised more than they thought. We set a goal at 25000 um, We raised – we blew past fifty. Then uh, Khabib donated his shirt for 100000 Dana White matched it for another 100000 So I think it raised like $280,000. Now – oh, man. Now we're going to be able to drill seven water wells and we're going to be able to get back – up to well, thirty acres of land is what we're shooting for, but we're even um, aiming at maybe a hundred acres of land there uh, to try to get back. But we have enough funding for thirty acres of land, so that way they can start up their own uh, farm. Because this is what was brutal: they were kicked out of the Simaliki National Forest in Uganda by the Ugandan Wildlife Authority, and they have reasons to do that to protect the forest that was being cut down, to protect the animals that were being poached. But the pygmies aren't poachers. They only take what they need. Um, and then from there, they were put on one acre of land behind th- over 300 people, given here's your one acre plot of land behind these slums. And then they're throwing out the, the sewage, and the sewage comes through their village, um, and they have eight shelters for over 300 people. And so Chris and I were walking around, and we uh, we were walking over these mounds, and Chris Cyborg stopped and said, what are these mounds? And she pointed down. And, uh, well, yeah, they live on top of their grave, um, their graveyard. And so they've only been given one acre of land. They've dwindled down from over 300 people to only 151 people in that area. Um, and the chief was literally like, or King Zito is his name, N-Z-I-T-O, Zito. Um, he was saying, hey, if we don't get land soon, and have clean water and be able to farm for ourselves. We've always hunted and gathered. We can't do that anymore. We've got to be able to farm for ourselves. If we can't do that soon, our people group isn't going to exist anymore here. That's crazy to think my race of people is no longer going to exist. Isn't that wild? He literally drew in the dirt his, his dream, and his big audacious dream was land, water, food. And we're like, man, well, we've done that in the past. We can do that here. All we need to do is have... Um, Rally, rally support. And so what will some people do in other countries to be just a homeless bum in America? Hmm. They would give their life to be homeless and a bum in America. Can you imagine? Yeah. I, I, I've said this before, like women are walking um, miles and miles a day. Uh, and children can't go to school because they're walking um, with 40 leaders. Um, 
or 20 liters, which is five gallons, but a lot of times they carry two at a time, two of those buckets. 20 liters is five gallons. Five gallons is 44 pounds when, when full. So they're walking day in and day out two, three times a day with 44 pounds or 88 pounds of water. Do people come and rob them of their water and abuse them and stuff? It happens, but normally, um, normally not because, oh, where we go and where we drill, we always drill wells for both sides, both tribes or everyone in the area. So it's communal. So this way it's not property of one person. Have they ever ate some good food before those people? Yeah, uh, well, a lot of times whenever they're able to hunt and gather and, and I'm talking about some food like weed, some, some fat burgers, anything like oh, that. Oh, no, no, none of that. But I'm telling you some wild bush meat, uh, whether it's wild hog or antelope or monkey. I've had monkey before. Um, but fresh bananas and fresh sweet potatoes from the ground, and uh, that that's pretty good. Um, goat, goat, I think, is a sweet meat. Goat is it's incredible. Good. I used to eat goat when I was eating meat. All I ate, all the Jamaican people love goat. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's take a break from hot boxing real quick to talk about our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Which, of course, you know, sports is I'm like breaking right now, right, Mike? What's your favorite sport outside of boxing? MMA. Well, you can bet on MMA. You can bet on poker. You can bet on everything you want with BetOnline.ag. And right now, Mike, um, we got the big NFL draft coming up. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with. Um the new the, uh, the California team. There we go. We got the Rams. We got the uh, we got the Chargers out here, and I mean, all these college guys are sitting around waiting to get drafted. I mean, it's got to be a, a big deal. And you can bet on all of the action with BetOnline.ag. Open twenty four hours a day, all online. Um, are you a betting man, Mike? With life, I am. <laughs> Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, doesn't worry if you're missing the NFL because they have live Madden NFL, 20 simulations a day you can wager on, plus so much more. And, Mike, at the end of the show, you'll never guess what's going on. Tell me. We've got Ross Tucker, an expert draft analysis presented by Bet Online. He's going to give everybody the inside track on how to win with the NFL draft this year. I want to see how this works. <laughs> so, yeah, t- t- uh, stick around to the end of the show to hear uh, all the hot tips on how you can win with uh, Bet Online. Of course, visit our good friends and exclusive partner at Podcast One Bet Online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code Podcast One for your sign up bonus. Don't forget to use that promo code Podcast One, and we're going to have some fun. Hey, guys. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of our, our our overarching vision as a nonprofit is to defeat hate with love. And our mission is to knock out bullying worldwide. And we do that in two areas or two initiatives, which are for the pygmy people who anthropologists say are the most oppressed people group on planet Earth. Another way you could say that is the most bullied. And then here stateside, we have a bully prevention and character development uh, initiative. So it's community development for the pygmy people. And it's character development here stateside um, in martial arts academies. We want to be in boxing gyms. We want to be potentially in public, private, online schools with a curriculum for kids that basically says, um, well, the name of it is Heroes in Waiting. And what that means, the premise is a hero isn't someone with supernatural powers, superhuman strength. It's someone who simply sees a need and takes action. They don't sit back and wait when, whenever bullying's happening. Here's a great statistic our kids need to know or anybody needs to know is 87% of the time you stand up and say something, one thing, as easy as, Evan, if you're bullying Mike, I just say, hey, th- that's not kind. 
saying something as simple as that, hey, that's not kind, 87% of the time it shuts it down within five to 10 seconds. And so recognizing when you're being a bystander and knowing that if you are a bystander, like with Raiden, what happened, he was beat up in the, the bathroom standing by the urinal. And he's a kid with special needs. He's 12 years old. He's got autism. They, they shouldn't have. This has been happening for, for years since, since he was a, a little guy. No, no. This is actually here. His name's Raiden. And it happened in Oklahoma. And so kind of shifting to that, our stateside initiative, um, Raiden was in the bathroom at the urinal. Um, 10 or 12 people are, are, are in the bathroom. Four or five people are filming it. And he just gets pummeled right by the urinal by this other kid. That's a big kid. The next day. Yeah, let's pull that up so we can show him. There's, there's, a, there's a good story that comes from it. It's something that's on our heart is how do we empower kids to recognize when you're being a bystander? Because um, the tough thing is, is that they're, if they're not educated or equipped with the right tools to say something, they won't. Or they'll think that they'll wrongly think they're being – they're just uh, innocent. They're an innocent bystander. Whenever really, if you're standing by and watching, or even if you're ignoring it, you're not an innocent bystander. You're a silent supporter. Mm -hmm. You didn't choose it. It chose you. But now you're presented with a choice. Am I going to do something or am I going to do nothing? And if I choose to do nothing, that is doing something. That's being a silent supporter. And so you have to say something, whether if you're a kid, go report it, you know, to the proper school authority. But man, you can also speak up and use your voice. And that's the most powerful thing against bullying saying, hey, that's not kind. Hey, stop that. Or hey, instead of the person being excluded, being an includer where you invite them over in your group or sit at your table, or you go sit with them when they're all alone. And so when that's being a hero in waiting, you know, or a hero in action is not sitting by and doing nothing. Are you ready? Here's this kid raiding. Oh, wow. Oh, So that part's over now, but... um. This is this is Thursday night, and then this is uh, Raiden, twelve, born with autism or uh, born deaf in his right ear, has a hearing aid, is diabetic, been bullied since he was nine. This is on the uh, the yard. The very next day, so Thursday was in the bathroom. This is Friday, and um, three kids on him at once. Um, and yeah, they found him with with a sharpie mark on his arm because of the bullying. Um, he's wrote on his arm, like, I want to kill myself. And, um, so we live in the same hometown in Oklahoma city and, uh, they've, um, they asked us to get involved, but what's been kind of cool is, have you ever heard of Rafael Lovato jr? So he is the current Bellator champion. He's right there on the left. And so this was a few nights later, uh, Raiden got to hold Rafael's current Bellator championship. He's the middleweight champion, beat Gegard Musasi. That's one of my training partners and coaches. He's the best American, or at least the most accomplished American, to do jiu-jitsu. He's got numerous world medals. I think six of them are, are gold medals in jiu-jitsu. And then, uh, and then he's the current MMA uh, world champion. So that's his little brother, Brock, uh, on the right. Um, Raiden's 12. His little brother's 9. Raiden's a big kid. I mean, that's uh, I'm I'm six two, six three, two fifty. Rafael's the one eighty five world champion, and uh, Raiden is twelve years old. He's a big kid, uh, but he's a sweetheart. Um, if you go back or next, um, actually, if you keep going, I'll be able to show you. That's uh, that's actually the next night. So Tuesday, his school was canceled. This is Wednesday night. 
Tuesday, his school was canceled because of death threats at the school because all this went so crazy. People were cyberbullying Raiden and his family, or not just him, but the, the bullies. People started posting the address of the 12- and 13-year-olds online saying, go get them. Um, and so uh, his dad asked Raiden if he was going to go to church the next night. And Raiden goes, no, Dad, what are the kids from school going to say? Uh, school is canceled because of me. I've been bullied and beat up. I can't go back to even church. And I go, what if I go with you, bud? And uh, he looks at his dad, can I? And, I? and his dad goes, yeah. And he looks at me and says, can I wear a shirt like you? And I'm like, yeah, buddy. So uh, we went to his church and like 300 kids heard he was coming out. They all came to support him. Um, I got to speak for like five, 10 minutes, share my bullying story, share about how we can rally around Raiden. And uh, he got a standing ovation from 300 kids at his school. Um, and afterwards we're leaving. And some of the girls asked him, Hey, Raiden, how are you? He goes, I'm okay. And they go, are you coming back next week? And he's like, yeah, yeah I'll come back. And uh, after that, he goes, dad, did you see that? And he goes, yeah. Um, and we sit in the car and I go, Raiden, what's, what was your favorite part, bud? And he goes, well, everyone cheering for me. That made me want to cry. But the girls, definitely the girls. That was my favorite part. Um, and so we're just trying to rally support around him where, you know, he was sitting there depressed. His grandpa named Butch, that's his dad, Danny. But Butch uh, was an old bull rider. Um, and he says it's made his heart want to fall out of his chest that at nine years old was the first time his grandson talked about wanting to kill himself um, because he's been bullied for, for most of his life. Um, so uh, we're just trying to put love and compassion in action and have a, a bunch of people rally support around him. I mean, people have posted about Raiden from the Pittsburgh Steelers, all posting a video for him, the L.A. Chargers, uh, Rafael Lovato Jr., um, Baker Mayfield, uh, Mick Foley is their favorite WWE wrestler. Um, he has a son that's autistic. He made a video for Raiden, sent it out, um, and uh, a lot of really cool stuff is happening. Mike, have you heard of uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy? I was in a hyperbaric chamber before. Really? This is with Raiden. Uh, I was actually with him at the doctor. Why is Raiden here? Why is he in there? Because he was actually diagnosed with a concussion. Yeah, I was doing so I was, brain cells are dead. So they, they said that uh, hyperbarics were one of the best things for him. Did yeah. someone give him a concussion? Uh, from one of those fights. Oh, fuck. Yeah, so um, uh, I was helping get him, getting him down. Uh, he had never done it before. And I, I'm one of those guys that thinks everything happens for a reason. And so I just started too, hyperbaric. One You're one of those guys? Yeah. Uh, no accidents. No accidents. So I had just started going two or three times. And then uh, the doctor said hyperbarics would be great for him. And I was like, I have an appointment today. And uh, if we can get him a prescription, I'll take him with me. And so uh, I was able to help him. He hasn't been in a plane before. So we brought him down and um, been just trying to rally support around him. There he is with someone's uh, sunglasses. Eskimo Joe's. <laughs> Eskimo Joe's. You know about that? In Oklahoma. Yeah, he's a big Oklahoma fan. And then uh, let me see if I can pull up. So uh, we're going to take a quick break from the Hot Boxing Podcast. Now, look around you. It's a wireless world. Everybody needs a good pair of earbuds, uh, especially with what's going on in the world today. Right, Mike? Absolutely, man. Golly. Everybody's spending time on their own. I mean, what do you do when you're locked in the house but exercise, right? It's the best way to do it. 
That's all I do two times a day, exercise, exercise. If I can, I get in three times a day. Body, your mind, your brain, your thoughts, everything in that, everything in play, you know? Now, you already know that you want to grab your pair of Raycon earbuds. Uh, they start about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. The latest model, the E25, is the best one yet with six hours of playing time, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. That's what we're all looking for. I agree with you. The new up-and-coming um, earbuds of, of, of our generation, and I'm looking forward to have on the set. It's, a, it's time for you to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Right now, you can get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Tyson. That's buyraycon.com slash Tyson for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Uh, buyraycon.com slash Tyson. Okay, Mike, so... What's the best workout to do in the house with your Raycon earbuds? There's so many you can do. You can do, you can do sit-ups. You can do push-ups. You can, go out, you can do your, your down the stairs, run up the stairs, your sprints up the stairs. There's so many things you do. If you have weights home, you can work your weights out. I do what I do. I do 300 sets. I do um, four sets of 25 with 40 pounds, and I do 35. And then I take 50 pounds from the machine and get to go back and forth. Ooh. Ooh, you look good too, by the way. I'm just saying, man. I, mean, I feel like a king. <laughs> this video right here is my wife and I have been trying to teach him about because uh, he's got diabetes already. He's 12, and so we're trying to help him make some better uh, eating choices or just teach him some stuff. So we took him to get salads, uh, cotton candy grapes blew him away. But here he is, like grapes that taste like cotton candy, and here he is being introduced to hummus with uh, my wife made us a meal prep. Hello. <laughs> Emily, we're making you a video. I am introducing Raiden to what? Hummus. He asked me what hummus is, so we got him some, some carrots and hummus. The chips are for me that you packed us. And uh, all right, my man, try carrots and hummus. That actually really good. Really good? Yeah. What does it taste like? I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> uh, he was asking me if it tastes like ranch. And I was like, well, kind of. It doesn't really taste like ranch, does it? No. But it tastes really good. <laughs> you like it? Yeah. Okay. So you're going to have, have the rest of it, the carrots and hummus? Yeah. Okay. I'll have the chips. Thanks, babe. So that's our mission, man, is to defeat hate with love. And how can we do that in the most practical, tangible way, whether that's um, for the most bullied people group or whether that's here for kids that are being bullied stateside because what's nuts about just in the U S the number two cause of death for ages 10 to 14 bullying. Yep. Suicide, uh, teen addiction, teen depression, teen isolation, um, teen like self, like, uh, what's that? Yeah. It's, it's, it's education and all that stuff. It's through the roof higher than ever before. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to say that I will say like, um, that's why we have so many help groups, and we got the, the Earl Nightingale and all these guys, the, the Justin, um, the guy with Perry. Perry, and all these guys, and the Shustagura, Sagura, and those guys, because people need the people need an outlet, people need help. Yeah, people need to find something bigger than outside themselves, and that's inside themselves to help them live another day. Yeah. Because we're looking for all of our happiness and to solve all our problems out here in the outer world, and all this problem solving is, has to be done inside of the inside job. Yeah. When this out here, this disturbed this in here, is normally over, it's finished. 
The objective is to keep the outer world from disturbing the inner world. I think especially with social media and cyberbullying, right? Like whenever we were being bullied growing up, like you could escape it when school was over. It's go home. But now it yeah. increases. And I think comparison, what's that quote? Um, it's like Teddy Roosevelt or something like that says, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. And like all these kids on social media, they're just comparing up, right, to everyone else's highlight reel, even if it's a fabricated highlight reel. Um, and so they're. Do you think that's the why there's so much bullying now? I think that's one of the main reasons. Social media. Yeah. Or at least that's one of the most active ways to do it because you can be anonymous. Um, or it, even if it's not anonymous and you're truly doing it with your identity, you are almost numb to the real effects because it's not a person to person, face to face interaction. So you can hide behind your, your, there's a buffer there behind your, your smartphone or whatever. And so 180,000 kids, 180,000 in the U S alone skip school every day because of bullying. I skipped school. Yeah. I skipped school big time. 3 million school days lost a month. Uh, 12 million uh, American students will be bullied this year alone. I, this is what I did when I used to get bullied for school. I would go to school for breakfast. When breakfast was over, I would leave the school and wait outside the school until lunchtime. Lunchtime would go, I would go eat lunch. Boom, lunchtime, I would wait at school. When the school is over, I would go get my books and I'd go back home. I would never go into school because they would fucking kick my ass. And I had to get the food. Once I got the food, I got the food and I left. Because before their class came and saw me in the, 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 the lunchroom, I didn't want them to still certain people to see me in that lunchroom. Because they were going to just come and attack me, take my food. Then they beat your ass right in front of everybody. No one does anything. They just beat your ass. Just like that. But they do it right in front of the, um, the cafeteria. Teachers, guards, they're beating your ass. You know, so I always made sure I got the food and I was out before their class came down. Wow. Yeah, I would, uh, after that bullying moment where I was dressed up like the Dr. Pepper uh, Transformer. I literally ran away from that party. My parents had to find me at, at Dairy Queen afterwards. I had ripped it all off, thrown it in the uh, the dumpster. I had like the duct tape residue still on my shirt and jeans and stuff like that. I was just sitting there crying, just sobbing. I skipped school until I think that was on the weekend. I think it was Thursday or Friday when my parents finally sent me back. But there's a thing called the diffusion of responsibility, I think is what it's called in psychology. Where when there's a group, people take on less personal responsibility to do something about it because there's a group and someone else could do something. And what we need to know is like have that primed in our mind that even though there's other people that could do something, I'm going to do something whenever I see bullying taking place. Is it human nature? Absolutely. Animals do it. Humans, you do it. You know, certain animals, they bully their brothers and sisters and stuff. And then as they get older, they love each other and fight to the death for each other. Someone has to, somebody has to um, determine who's the boss and that find a way and that development of who they are in life. Somebody has to develop, I'm the boss or he's the boss. It's, it's just no way. It's just that's how it's always from animals, brothers and sisters. Some animals, I think it's her, um, hyenas, they fight in the womb. They have, they may have seven babies, one or two might come out because they're fighting, they're fighting in the womb. They'll kill each other. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think that's probably where the big challenge comes from, right? Like battling that nature versus us being civilized human beings now yeah. and needing to, uh, to to shift in a way that, okay, we know that this now 
through science and through studying it, we know that this has long-lasting detrimental effects. But it's fear-based. Yeah, absolutely. It's all fear-based. Even in yeah. the womb with the animals, it's all fear-based. Am I going to get out of here? I'm going to kill them. I got to get out of here. Yeah. It's all fear-based. Everything's yeah. fear-based. If you ever just, hey, it's cool it out. This is my brother. I love him. He loves me. And we're going to get out. his way. Push me out. Mama's pushing us out. It's okay. It's okay. But they can't ration. Animals don't ration. What I had to tell Raiden, um, because he couldn't really understand um, how he was treated so badly by a group of people. Like the thing that happened in the bathroom, even though it was on school property, that one affected him less than whenever there was these two guys beating him up and this girl hitting him from behind and then everyone filming it. And I had to tell him, you know, buddy, um, we have this thing we do. We fist pound and then we say buddies. And we do like two pounds on our chest, just fist bump buddies. And uh, I said, well, you know, buddy, sometimes um, this is what I've learned through my bullying moments is that hurt people hurt people. And there's some things that are going on. And I won't say who, but one of the people from that video um, if you look into their background, like someone in their family very close to them, one of their parents were murdered by their other parent. And so they're in a very tough life circumstance of their own, and they should have probably been removed from school the year before. But because of that tragic instance in their life, they've kind of been given a little bit of some free passes a bit maybe. Um, and and then they're they're struggling, they're hurting. And so they act out by hurting others. And if you look into the statistics from the CDC, um, number three on the suicide list for like bullying moments, and the third at risk is the bully. The second is actually the victim. And you're like, well, who would be number one? Well, actually, number one at highest risk of suicide is the person who does both. They're being bullied and then they're not happy with themselves. So they act out by being a bully to others. So that person is the highest at risk of suicide, the person that is being bullied and then they become a bully because they're not happy on either side. And so they're at this constant internal struggle with who they yeah, are. We don't talk about this guy. You, know, you remember this because what about the guy that kills the bully? That guy too, the guy that kills the bully. And sometimes um, I saw him one time on television, um, it was this guy. He was beating up the guy. I, I forgot his name. And he even took he even took sexual advantage of some of the girls in the group of them. And they just made a plan one day that we're going to get him. And so the guy had made a plan for us to go out again. And they called that guy to come in, and they killed him. Mm-hmm. It was it was on uh, it was on the twenty twenty before I saw it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not always that someone's getting bullied. Sometimes people fight back, and then they spend the rest of their life in jail from being bullied, from defending you. For they they went too extreme. They didn't go to the cops. They didn't go to their parents. They put it in their own hands. That was a smart idea, and they killed the guy. Well, I think that's a, one of the big struggles with yeah. school shootings. If you look at school shootings, you'll see yeah. uh, 75% of the time or more, they were relentlessly bullied at school, and this was their They're moment of revenge. They were not given attention as well. They yeah. haven't been given attention they believe they deserved. Because they've been good and nice to those people, and they haven't received the same in return. So, Justin, from that perspective, what are the tools that you are, how are you building the character Hmm. of this next generation? Well, that's what we're really excited about. We worked with uh, Century Martial Arts, um, and they're the number one distributor of martial arts goods in the world. So if you buy anything at Dick's or um, Academy, they've made most of it, Um, and they 
supply most of the martial arts academies around the country. And one thing that I think boxing, wrestling, uh, jiu-jitsu does that maybe maybe football football develops character for sure, without a doubt. But I think the coaching um, in martial arts, like there's lessons before, during, and after practice about character, about discipline, about respect, about um, – treating others like you'd want to be treated. Even the black belt journey is about service to others. And so um, I love that about martial arts. And so we worked with Century Martial Arts and another organization called Maya, the Martial Arts Industry Association. And they've helped us develop this curriculum that's 12 weeks of teaching. And then every class they have a mat chat, so a mat discussion. And so there's a teaching and then there's also a challenge. There's a hero's challenge after every heroes in waiting lesson. And so they'll be like this week and it's all digital too. So they can watch it on their smartphone going into practice. We coach the coaches how to coach it. Then there's a video for the parents. There's a video for the students that are learning. So the parents can be engaged with what their child is learning and the student can know what they're learning that week and what their hero challenge is. And so what I love about that is they come in week one, recognize when you're being a bystander. And so recognize that, come back and report it. Another hero challenge will be go out and complete a secret random act of kindness. So the rule is you have to be completely anonymous and you have to go do something great that makes someone feel awesome. And what was that journal it, you know, what'd you do? How'd you stay anonymous? How'd that make them feel? How'd that make you feel? And then how are you going to build onto that next week? And so it's all, all digital, but there's also a curriculum that's all typed out. Um, and so we're arming or right now, 104 martial arts academies are using it around the country. Um, and now we're just trying to fundraise so that way we can get it up to school standards um, and, and get it into public, private, and online schools, uh, get it accredited. Um, and so that's what we're working with our board now. You know, we all have something that we want to change about ourselves. And especially, you know, with today's current situations, everybody has a little more time, right, Mike, to sit around in your thoughts. Yeah, show more compassion and loving and kindness to one another. And one of the ways uh, to find that love and that compassion is through therapy, uh, through platforms like Talkspace. Uh, Talkspace is an online therapy platform. It's the most convenient and affordable way that you can make a lasting change in your life with the support of a licensed therapist. And the great thing, it's all online. And again, therapy is a good thing. Oh, therapy. There's nothing better than therapy. There's nothing better. So the great thing about Talkspace is that you can send your licensed therapist a text, audio, picture, or video message from your phone or your computer whenever you need to, even if it's on the way to work. Or right now, if you're just going from one room to another, you don't have to make an appointment or deal with extra commutes. Everything happens within Talkspace's secure platform is what we're doing right now, and it's all on your schedule. Now, Talkspace is going to match you with a licensed therapist based on your needs and preferences. They have thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties. And once you're matched, the great thing, you can begin your therapy the very same day, like right now, right now, right now. Okay. Now, a lot of people think therapy is just about analyzing dreams or digging into painful memories, um, but it can be really powerful. Okay. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Never be afraid to ask for help. If you can't ask for help, you can never give help. That makes you a stronger person. The bottom line is that life can be hard. And Talkspace wants to help us get more of the support that we need at a price that we can afford. So as a listener of the Hot Boxing Podcast, you can get $100 off your first month on Talkspace. To match with your perfect therapist, you want to go to Talkspace.com right now. 
or download the Talkspace app. Make sure to use the code HOTBOXING and get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. Uh, the code HOTBOXING, H-O-T-B-O-X-I-N, and Talkspace.com. Go to Talkspace.com and use the promo code HOTBOXING. I guess outside of that, how do we cultivate kindness and goodness in young people so that it's not just like, okay, you're in a situation and a kid's being bullied. Are you going to be a bystander? This is what they do. They know how to do this. You get programs. Kids and kids will join the program, and the programs will keep teaching everybody um, the golden rule. Mm-hmm. You know the program, but they, the but the government always um, pulling these programs out. Mm-hmm. Boys and girls, big day. The boys and girls, if they're doing molesting and stuff, don't stop the boys and girls. Just keep more appropriate teachers or, uh, or scouters or something. Don't cut. Don't stop the boys and girls clubs. You know, which is stupid. The more programs I think are better for the children. It'll be less drugs. It'll be less killing. It'll be more programs, more conglomerates, more people being friends, more people meeting each other. And that's what it is. So many people disenfranchised with each other. They're so far away from each other. They can't be together and they're looking. They wonder if their minds are reaching for each other, but we're also disenfranchised. And that's what the programs do. Well, I love this. There's a, you're, you just, triggered a, a, a Swahili proverb in my, my mind, my memory. Um, the pygmies taught me this. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. Mm. But if you want to go far, go together. Mm. And so we need these programs. We need everyone to come together. And then what I've learned there from living there for a year is the community, it's so important. And we're so used to isolating or being individuals that we'll do things on our own. And in the rainforest, you don't have privacy. Your your home is literally twig and leaves. Your wall are leaves. And so you can hear the discussions between people all across the village. There isn't any private conversations. And that can be a bad thing, but it's also a good thing that you aren't able to isolate and completely um, cut yourself off from, from the community. And so you need each other. Um, but I also think it's really important for each individual to learn their personal impact you can impress people from a stage or from maybe on a podcast, but you impact people one-on-one in conversation or up close. And so what I mean by that is we could teach these kids, uh, whether it's in a program or whether it's in a conversation with them, that no act of kindness, no act of kindness, no matter how small, ever goes wasted. Right? And so start small. Uh, I've gotten to start this organization, Fight for the Forgotten Now. It's going to be what I do for the rest of my life. But I started with that quote. No act of kindness, no matter how small, ever goes wasted. And so one thing I like to ask people is, in the lives of others, if you knew you could, if you knew you could, in the lives of others, what great difference would you make if you only knew you could? So it, it's that whole that whole quote, you know, um, what would you do if you knew you wouldn't fail? What would you do? If you knew you wouldn't fail. And and so take all the fear of failure away. Well, now what difference would you make in the lives of others? If you didn't have fear that you wouldn't be able to do it. And so what impact do you want to make? How do you want to influence people? How do you want to change their lives? And, um, and so do that. No act of kindness, no matter how small ever goes wasted, start small, start somewhere and uh, just have your head on a swivel looking to make a difference wherever it is you can. 
I always tell my son, I always tell all my kids that if you're just somewhere, I don't care where you're at, never think, um, why am I here? You think when you get there and you observe the situation you're in, say, how can I make this a better place? How can, how can I make these people better at what they do? And I know that sounds like, I don't fuck if I care what they do. But imagine, imagine your brain working to make this place better and make these people better than they could ever be in their life. And no one can do it but you because that thought came to your mind to make this better. It's perfect, but you can make this better. And that's your job to make this better. You know what's really cool is that's even a principle now that I think can even be applied to businesses. I was recently at both Lowe's in, in Charlotte, um, North Carolina, and Home Depot in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And both of them talked about something really similar, which kind of blew me away. But there's a new statistic out there that says, I think it's 84, 84% of consumers are now classified as consumers who care. What that means is they're looking to buy a product or a service that's attached to a purpose, that it's cause-minded, community-driven, that it's making the world a better place. And so if businesses can even align with that, if us as people can align with that, like you'll just make the world a better place. Um, and so it's been really cool to see some of these businesses step up and say, like, this is how we're going to give. Like, we've got one guy that gives 10% uh, of his company back to us. Um, another person that gives a certain dollar amount per product sold. Um, and that, that's been nuts to see their sales increase from being uh, purpose-driven or attached to a cause. That's our purpose here. That's our purpose. I always wanted to know what was the human purpose here. Mm-hmm. And it's to enrich the world. Yeah. Someone's going to come by one day and they're going to say, I can make us live for an extra hundred years. He's going to enrich the world in that. I don't know if that's enriching the world, but that would be a form of enriching the world. Absolutely. Whatever it is, what we're doing right now is a form of enriching the world. Yeah. And the way now, see, now we have this, you know how many millions and hundreds of million people know that he does this now? That's enriching the world. He touched millions of people knows his idea of what he's doing. Yeah. Even people in the Congo know now that didn't know. Yeah. You know, enriching the world with his love and caring for you know, humanity. All right, let's uh, let's take a break from hot boxing real quick to talk about our exclusive partner, Bet Online, which of course, you know, sports is I'm like breaking right now, right, Mike? What's your favorite sport outside of boxing? MMA. Well you can bet on MMA, you can bet on poker, you can bet on everything you want with betonline.ag. And right now, Mike, um we got the big NFL draft coming up. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with um the, new, the, uh, the California team. There we go. We got the Rams. We got the uh, we got the Chargers out here. And, I mean, all these college guys are sitting around waiting to get drafted. I mean, it's got to be a, a big deal. And you can bet on all of the action with betonline.ag. Open 24 hours a day, all online. Um, are you a betting man, Mike? With life, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, doesn't worry if you're missing the NFL because they have live Madden NFL, 20 simulations a day you can wager on, plus so much more. And, Mike, at the end of the show, you'll never guess what's going on. Tell me. We've got Ross Tucker, an expert draft analysis presented by Bet Online. He's going to give everybody the inside track on how to win with the NFL draft this year. I want to see how this works. <laughs> so, yeah, t- t- uh, stick around to the end of the show to hear uh, all the hot tips on how you can win with uh, Bet Online. Of course, visit our good friends and exclusive partner at Podcast One. Bet Online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. 
Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code podcast one for your sign up bonus. Don't forget to use that promo code podcast one and we're going to have some fun. Hey, guys. I think that's so important to remember, you know, is no act of kindness, no matter how small goes. You know, so it's crazy. You but wonder, it's, you know, you say that the universe allowed us to be born. Maybe we didn't want to be born. And now we're born, and now we got to worry and freak out about dying. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He put us here. We didn't ask to be here, and now we're freaking out about dying. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Why do you do this to us? Why do you have me freaking out? Yeah. What's that saying, though? Uh, the most important day of your life isn't the day that you were born, but the day you found out why? Yeah. Something like that? The day you discovered why? Yeah, and I found out that it's the world. There's no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt to enrich the world. I love that. That's easy to say, easy to live by. No, and this is what I found out too. Human beings, animals, yes, but fucking human beings won't accept, won't accept, won't accept, um, they won't accept the answer unless it's complicated. If the answer's easy, they won't believe it. They say it's bullshit. You know what I mean? But our, our, our reality is in our mouth, you know? I, I know this will sound probably pretty cheesy, but I, I need easy, simple things for me to remember. Exactly. Um, that's why our vision statements, defeat hate with love, that's pretty easy. Defeat hate with love. Knock out bullying worldwide. Um, defend the weak. Love the unloved. Empower the voiceless. Like those kind of things. Um, but whenever I'd sign my book, I got to write a book called Fight for the Forgotten. And uh, whenever I'd sign it, it was a reminder to me, but I hope it would kind of be an awakening or a moment where if someone actually, what does this mean? that they would think about it and discover it, that it's almost too simple to live by. But it's, I would sign it, live to love, love to live. And it was because I, whenever I was going through that, being that depressed drunk drug addict and hitchhiking from drug house to drug house and fighting on TV and getting my hand raised and thinking, is this it? Is this all? Like not having that sense of fulfillment uh, after a victory that I thought would yeah, be there. No doubt about it. Listen, um, Dr. Seuss... The Cat in the Hat, he's Frederick Nietzsche in simple form. Frederick Nietzsche, you try to read Frederick Nietzsche, you won't understand one fucking word when it comes out your mouth. Nobody here will understand one word. What did he say? You understand everything in The Cat in the Hat. That's Frederick Nietzsche right there, everything. The world right there. My my wife's been literally telling me I have to read The Cat in the oh, Hat books. Oh, definitely. I haven't read them definitely. yet. Definitely. Oh, that's the world. Okay. That's the other world, yeah. Cat in the Hat. Well, that's it, though. If, if you think about just those two things, live to love, love to live, we're all wanting to love this one life that we live. And so we get caught in, what's that called? Like materialism. Yeah. We get caught in all this because we just, the new iPhone will make me happy. This new car will make me happy. This bigger home will make me happy. Um, for a moment. For a moment. But the thing is, is that if we change things up, if we live to love first, I think we'll we'll love to live. It's about letting all this go. All this has to go. All the new phones, all the new clothes, the blunts, everything, the fancy, everything has to go. That's why at the end of the day, we're just, we're skeletons smiling. At the end of the day, all of us skeletons with a big smile on our face. End of the day, we're just passing through. You know, maybe we're going on a ride. You know, we're going to exist somewhere else, but not here in this physical world. That's when we're going to, as soon as we die, that's when we're going to begin to live. Can you can you can you imagine dying and, and can you just imagine dying and waking up and being somewhere else? 
That's wild. After after experiencing all this, can you imagine? It's, we're not living them when I was somewhere else. Not I, knowing where, but we're there. Someone told me once that, and I, this might be a, a, a common quote, but I forget. I'm trying to think who told me it, but they said, we're not human beings on a spiritual journey. We're spiritual beings on a human, human journey. journey. No That's doubt about it. Yeah. I was talking to my wife the other day. I was watching my son. He, he plays baseball. And so we're sitting down in the rafters, and so were the ants are there. And it's getting wintertime, so they're ready to hibernate now. But the all, all during spring and summer, they were, um, they were preparing, right? And I'm telling my wife that story, and I'm, and I'm going on, and I say, baby, you see this? They're doing all this under the midst of us, squashing them and stabbing them. They accomplish more than we could ever do in a lifetime within a season. And that's being crushed and stomped by us, right? And I said, now, baby, listen to this. You see how we're watching them? Who's watching us? And I wanted to have somebody they look at that's very small like we look at them. I wonder if there's a species of bug that's very small that the ants look at them and say, they're too small even to fucking eat. And do they have somebody smaller than them that they say they're too small to even eat? They're just amazing to look at. Like we look at the bugs. Or we may just kill them for sport, you know? How many, how many, um, how many layers of that? The smaller, the smallest, the smallest, microscopic. How many layers did that go? Where, where does it start from us? Where does it go? Does it, do the clouds, is the universe, is the, the solar system? Where does it start when they're looking at us and we're microscopic? We don't like ourselves well enough to think we're the only strongest beings in the universe. We don't love ourselves enough to really believe we're the only ones. You just you just pulled another Swahili proverb uh, out of my memory um, about not believing in ourselves enough. Um, there's a Swahili proverb, and this this means more to me because I've had malaria now uh, three times, and and a bigger beast of an opponent that I've ever fought um, was a was a one gram or less than mosquito, right? That almost took me out, um, almost laid me out uh, permanently. Uh, but it says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try to sleep in a closed room with a mosquito. Mm. And so if there was one mosquito in this room with us right oh, now. Oh, he'll make a difference. Get the, my wife will forget this motherfucker out of here. <laughs> I said, baby, this is just a bug. What do you do? Get him out of here. A bug. He doesn't eat too much. He doesn't eat much at all. He's going to die ODing on you, eating off you. <laughs> you know, he's going to die. Little chill. And so if that one bug can make that big of a difference in our lives, how much more of a difference can we make in the lives of others? Exactly. Many people don't think that they have any power. Hey, that's the power right there. That should let them know they have power because that's the power to show them they're nothing because they're being nothing. So tell that power to tell you you're something. You, you remember what you told me? Whatever you think, right or wrong, you're good or bad, you're right. And that, that feeling of powerlessness I think when kids are bullied growing up, those effects, those feelings, those beliefs of being powerless can last a lifetime if you let it. If someone doesn't come along and show you um, or you have some, some moment of self-discovery that lets you know that, that, that you do have uh, power. Um, you know, bullies are just no I bully. See, people don't understand the real damage that bullies do. Bully, um Bullies, bullies make monsters. That's the biggest damage they do. Those little scared people turn into monsters. A bully couldn't even fathom the, the fear that that guy could imagine. Do you remember one significant bullying moment in your life? 
hey, buddy, I'm not cool enough to see the guys that bullied me right now to this day. I might attack him right now. I'm 53 years old. I might attack him right now. Yeah. They did a number on me. I, uh, I saw some of the bullies from that, that party. So I'm at a sushi restaurant after I got off the Ultimate Fighter TV show. I was visiting my hometown in Fort Worth, Texas, and um, I was at a sushi place, and it was crazy. It was almost that that group of kids that set it all up, that pre-planned it, that methodically created an invitation that said costume party on it, knowing that it wasn't a costume party. It was just to fool me. And so mm, there was a table of eight, eight or ten of them, and the, the main kind of ringleader of that group that had set up numerous bully moments for me um, the years before. He saw me said, oh, why don't you come over, have a drink with us? I was like, no, that's okay. And he pointed over at the the table. I was like, no, that's okay. And um, and I went to the restroom. And uh, actually, sorry, before I went to the restroom, he pulled me over to the table. It was all of them sitting down, and they kind of went around the table. And it was all something similar to this effect. But the guy that, that was the, the ringleader looked at me, brought me over there to the table. I stopped by just for a second. He said, hey, here's so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. You remember them? I'm like, yeah, I remember them. And he goes, hey, man, you know, we were just kids back then. Uh, if we knew you were going to be a fighter and you could have beat us all up, we would have never done that to you. And uh, I think he was trying to say sorry. But what I got from that was if if he would have known that I could have whooped them, he wouldn't have done those terrible things to me. That's how I received it was, oh, if you knew there was a consequence, you wouldn't have done that. And so I remember from there, I went to the bathroom. I said, hold on, give me a minute. went to the bathroom. And just like when I ran away from that party after that moment, I like slipped out. I didn't slip out the back, but I found a way around in the restaurant to where they didn't see me leaving. Um, and so I couldn't even face them. Then. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not, I can't handle that. I'm, I'm too insecure. I, I would be violent. You know, I'm just too insecure. I'm just too insecure. One of the one of the reasons I'm in town. I'm going on Joe Rogan's podcast. I'm I'm on with you guys. I'm so incredibly grateful. Um, it looks like Raiden. There's going to be some really cool stuff lining up for him. Maybe with the Chargers. Maybe with the talk of the TV show. There's a CBS show called Seal Team that might give awesome. him a studio tour. Take him on walks, hike with him. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff. Go to the beach. Way, make him feel positive his, by himself. His first time on a uh, airplane will be coming out here and. Take him to the beach for the first time, which is going to be great. But actually, Mike, there's this incredible doctor in Costa Mesa. His name's Dr. Daniel Amen. And uh, he did Muhammad Ali's brain, looked at it on scans. He's done tons of NFL players, like over 300, I think. And he can detect mild traumatic brain injury, all this different stuff. And he said, for a fighter, I have a really good brain. He had to do, I do three full days with him, his chief medical director. Uh, his functional medicine doctor, but they did cheek swabs, hair swa- hair uh, samples, uh, blood, urine, stool samples. They did the works on me trying to figure out what parasite I have in me because I've had cerebral malaria, which is the parasite that normally is in the liver, but it's gone into my head. I've had the intestinal bacteria, amoebas, amoebas up here too. Um, so they're doing the works on me, checking me out. Um, but they literally can scan your brain and see where the blood flow is, where it's where there's too much activity, where there's not enough activity and where it's functioning properly. But then they can detect on these scans, it's called a SPECT scan, and they can show you this 3D image of your brain. And it's almost like an MRI, but way different. It shows the function of your brain, not just the biology of your brain. 
and it can actually show you your emotional brain and where it's firing. And so they can see eight different types of brains that are ADD. I have severe ADD. Um, they can detect mild traumatic brain injury, uh, like then TBI regular. Um, they can detect all this different stuff. But for me, they're able to detect PTSD. And so the way your brain's supposed to be lit up is supposed to be just a little bit of red, one spot that might have white. Well, my brain was all over the place, um, lit up everywhere. And there's a certain diamond in it. They show you what part of the brain it connects to and everything else on the underside and on the frontal, uh, all these different parts of the brain. But they showed me that I had a diamond of fire. And they say, if you have this ring of fire, that means 100% you have PTSD. You're supposed to have just one little red speck there. You've got it lit up and you have it in a circle or in a diamond. Like, man, you have as much PTSD as, as military veterans that come in here and, and are really struggling with it. And I've had some terrible stuff happen growing up as a kid, but then even over in the Congo and Uganda from rebel group interactions and being uh, held at gunpoint or um, rebels attacking a village next to us or taking women to the hospital after they've been tied to a tree and, and raped by numerous men and just like some really, really tough stuff, seeing and, and digging graves for people and different things like that. Um, not really why I, I brought up Dr. Amen, but I know that, that he's an incredible doctor and he's helping me get a life balance of like a morning routine supplements that help my brain. Um, there can be medications too, but yeah, that's his last line of defense is he wants to help create healthy brains because he says, um, if we can help you have a healthy, healthy brain, you'll have a healthy life. Um, and so he's helped a ton of different NFL, Muhammad Ali, a lot of different people. Um, and now he's helping me and my wife. So I'm very grateful for him. He really is a phenomenal doctor. He's a, he's, he's, he's a 10, 10 time New York times bestseller two two Ted talks with millions of views. He talks to Google, to success magazine, Forbes. Um, he's not just some doctor. He is like the doctor for brain scans. Amen. Like you're praying. Amen. A M E N. So it's Dr. Daniel Amen, and he works with NFL players, fighters, all sorts of people, and he's done more brain scans than any human on earth, like over 200,000 different brains. Um, and that's where he's getting all this state-of-the-art technology and able to write his books, like how, how to heal your brain. With high, the hyperbarics, they're finding that yeah. you can literally do brain trauma reversal through hyperbarics. There's this, yeah, this little girl named Eden Carlson. She drowned. She was gone for two hours. Now she's a normal, a normal little girl again. It's amazing, man. Well, Justin, I mean, you, you're just you're an angel, dude. I mean, you're doing some incredible work, and I'm, I've been on the verge of tears basically this whole conversation. And I really appreciate everything you're doing. I think it's amazing. Um, is there anything before we wrap up, anything you want to mention, make sure people know about where they can follow you, all that? Yeah. If you, if you feel led to do anything with Raiden, go check out the hashtag stand with Raiden. So it's called stand with Raiden. Um, and I bet he would love, uh, I text him videos back and forth, his parents videos every day, him and I, and I've, I've taken him to the hyperbarics 20 times myself. I've had family dinners at his house. His, his grandma can cook some meatloaf. Absolutely, she can cook some meatloaf. Um, and, the hyperbaric uh, chambers is some really illustrative. It's, all, it's been done like 30 years. It's been doing it for over 30, but it's just, it's really something. I had one it really is. Played, yeah. 
he's he's um he's getting better sleep than he's ever gotten. He's not up and down in the night anymore. Uh, he's able to focus more at school, and he feels more positive. He's having less and less of those suicidal thoughts. Um, so it's hashtag stand with Raiden. And then uh, if people want to support Fight for the Forgotten, probably the easiest and newest way to do that is becoming part of our Fight Club. And so kind of like Fight Club, the movie, the first rule is you don't speak about Fight Club. Or second rule is you don't speak about Fight Club. Our first rule is that you do speak about Fight Club. Let people know that you're part of our monthly giving club. And you can give up a, a latte every month or a Starbucks drink and um, send us $5 a month. And that helps us know our, our budget for the year. Um, and, uh, the more monthly donors we get, we, we get to plan out how many wells we get to drill, how many kids here stateside we get to help, um, how much land we can buy throughout the year. Um, and so that's by becoming part of our fight club. You can get t-shirts there, all that. It's just fight for the forgotten.org. And then you just click on the fight club. I think that's pretty cool. I'm so grateful for you guys. This is awesome. Uh, it's kind of a, a dream come true for me meeting you guys. Thank you. It's amazing, man. Dream come true to have you in here. We like having guys like you that make a difference in the world, yeah. you know, on our show. It's so important right now, you know. I think there's a big, there's a lot of disillusionment with being a human right now, you know. And we're in a crisis of needing connection and But, love. you know, a lot of people don't understand um, why they don't make themselves, like, why am I not happy? Yeah. Why, why don't it make me happy? You know why? Yeah. And I used to say that too. And then you know what I did? I helped somebody. And then I got addicted to helping people. Right. People thinking I was special, I was nice, and they giving me a good reputation because I was helping them. People said, well, Mike is a good man. If you ever had some money, Mike, if you had, you needed Mike. Again. And then that, that um, I got addicted to that. Yeah. Only by saying, I'm a good motherfucker. Oh, he's a hell of a motherfucker. He's beautiful. He's, and that's addicting, helping yeah. people for stuff like that. And that's addicting too. Yeah. You never know. You think you know. You just don't know what's wrong. Fucking. Then you fucking clean somebody's yard out, and you fucking get a rush. I'm gonna do another one. Well, I think it goes back to that saying: hurt people, hurt people, but loved people, love people, mm. or even maybe helped people in turn help people. So once you are helped, you can help someone else. Yeah. Um, and it is about that connection, community, yeah. relationship. Yeah. Because we can have all the stuff in the world, but if yeah. we don't have people, yeah. it doesn't have to be a ton of people, but it has to be meaningful people in our lives absolutely you won't have much meaning without those meaningful relationships great stuff man thanks justin yeah, thank, thank you, you very guys. much mike great show amazing great spiritual show this is this is what we do when the things that i call um mind stuff you know well everybody thank you so much for tuning in be sure to head to fight for the forgotten.org you can also stand with raiden through following Justin the Big Pygmy on social media. Hot boxing, love Raiden. Hot boxing stands with Raiden without a doubt. I love that. Um, head to our website, hotboxingpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Until next time, I'm Evan Britton. I'm Mike Tyson. And we're out of here, brother. Bye. Hey, I got a new podcast coming. It's called Theory. Don't you know? This is Theo Rossi. Our world is changing. 
For many of us, it'll never feel the same. The important thing to remember is that we are all in this together. And that's some of what I want to talk about on my new show, Theory. We're going to discuss the things that no one ever does. The real talk, the sacrifice, and the struggle that everyone goes through. My life has kind of put me in a unique position to see things honestly. This is Theo Rossi, and my new show, Theory, launches on April 8th. Officially on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Daniel Roof, the Real GM Radio Podcast, and I want to take a minute to talk about DeAndre Ayton, the number one pick of the 2018 draft. Definitely has not gotten the attention of high-profile lottery picks Luka Doncic and Trey Young during the early going, but he has been excellent and a key part of the Phoenix Suns being on the precipice of the NBA Finals. Ayton is presenting a matchup nightmare for the LA Clippers that Rudy Gobert simply was not. Gobert is a wonderful player, deserving Defensive Player of the Year, but Ayton puts more pressure on opposing defenses. He's used his size mismatches for offensive rebounds, and he's also been able to contest shots around the basket and make life hard on the Clippers there too. So it is a huge performance for him, averaging 20 points, 13 and a half rebounds through the first four games of the series. And it's been so exciting to see a physically talented player really come into his own on the brightest stage so far of his career. Hi, this is Daniel Rue from the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now on the pro basketball, hockey playoffs, and Major League Baseball season. BetOnline.net has all the action. Basketball, the playoff battles continue as their teams make the run for the championship. America's pastime is in full swing. And let's not forget about hockey's chase for the cup. BetOnline has you covered. If you love golf, MMA, championship boxing, they have that too. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports, the news, scores, and odds. So head to the website, use your mobile device, and bring home the game with BetOnline.net. 